0: Is all right welcome to Worldwide Bible Class? Pastor Brian Wilkner there, St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. We are working with uh Martin Luther and his uh commentary on Genesis. We're in chapter 31, verse 26 through 29. That's where we are. So, uh, so here we are. Let me just get myself out of the way here. Laban says to Jacob. So here's the here's the story. We are um uh, Jacob has been working for Laban, slaving away for Laban for 20 years now. He's married his two daughters and still he's really treated him like a slave, given him nothing. He's worked for more time to get the flocks and still he 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 totally rejects that as well. So Jacob says, I think I should leave. The Lord says, Jacob, you should leave. Go back to your father. Uh, his wives say, he goes out to talk to his wives about it. They're like, yeah, what are you doing? Let's let's get out of here. So they go and they go all the way from, if you remember, uh, jot this down here. They Can I draw? I can draw. Uh, the, 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 you'll remember the map. Oh, okay. well, Let's do it like this. Uh, here's the Mediterranean Sea, and here's the Euphrates River, way over here. So, like, Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea, uh, Euphrates, they're way up here, do, 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 all the way down, tr- hundreds of miles, and it's here by the mountains of, uh, there's a balm in Gilead. By the mountains of Gilead, Laban catches up to Jacob. Now, on the way, The Lord had told um, Laban, hey, don't even speak anything bad to Jacob. I don't want to hear you giving him any grief. But Laban's not going to enslave him. He's not going to um, arrest him. He's not going to beat him or afflict him. But he is going to uh, say bad things uh, about it as well. So... So uh so here we uh someone says map is sharing. Hopefully that little it wasn't, I think map with scare quotes around it is more like it was. So but anyway, so Laban says to Jacob, so here we are in the text, and hopefully you guys can see the text. Hopefully we're good enough on that. Laban catches up to Jacob and says, What have you done? That you have stolen my heart? Um And uh, and carried away my doctor uh, daughters like captives of the sword. Uh, So here he's um, so Laban comes and he's a he's afflicting he's 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 accusing Jacob. You know, it's amazing. The the conscience. Remember, the conscience is like a is like a window. So if you uh, in fact, I wonder if I can show you this. I, I oops, I stopped the video. I, I, I'm here in my office, and I have these kind of uh, stained glass windows. Uh, let me stop. Let me share here. I bet I can. So, so my office has these kind of frosted windows, which I, I I don't know if I. It's fine, I suppose. Uh, except for the fact that I I always like to look outside, so I'm I'm always opening them, and I'm not sure if they're. They probably haven't been opened since like. 1962 or whatever but uh but because they're frosted you can't everything kind of looks blurry outside and the light that comes in is also a kind of a, a filtered light the conscience is like that it's like a uh the conscience is like a a window and what happens is if the window's dirty everything outside looks dirty everything inside looks dirty if the conscience is clean then everything it doesn't look, it doesn't make everything outside look clean or everything inside look clean. It makes, it lets you see things how they really are. So a clean conscience lets you see what's clean and unclean. It lets you understand these things. That's why when you have a bad conscience, your whole, everything seems like it's after you. The whole world seems like it's assaulting you. Like you're a stranger in this world. And if you have a bad conscience and you get three red lights in a row, you know, it's like God is punishing you for your sin. This is, the, uh, the favorite verse that Luther used to use from Leviticus about this was their, um, they, uh, that they, sh- they flee when nobody pursues and they run at the shaking of a leaf. So you hear the shaking of, and you're afraid because of it. That's the, that's what a bad conscience is. But the other thing that the conscience as a window does when the conscience is dirty, the result is that you start, it starts to function like a mirror and you, and, uh, and you, uh, you see, you start to see your own reflection in, uh, in, in when you, you, so you try to look out the window and you, and you end up seeing your own reflection kind of over everything that's out there. And the, um, the psychologists call this re, uh, projection. The idea is that your own guilt or your own shame, your own whatever is is on top of everyone and we see it right here with laban because he 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 accuses jacob of being a thief you've stolen my heart and carried away my daughters like captives of the sword it's 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 just what he is he is a thief and now he sees uh he he sees jacob in that way like this projection so it's really quite amazing leanne asks hmm how does the conscience work uh how does the conscience work spiritually how how is the how is the conscience we can think about it this way how is the conscience informed and we we want to remember that the conscience is very sensitive to all the things happening around it. And the conscience can be influenced for good or for, for ill. There's this verse in first Corinthians 15 that says bad friends ruin good habits. And that's this, it points us to the fact that the people that we're around the culture that we're in, et cetera, is, has an influence on our conscience. I would, I would refer you guys. I, I wrote a little essay for um, um, a doxology a few years back called teaching the conscience to the youth. And, and in that, I kind of worked through all of this conscience stuff. I, that's a, hopefully that's a helpful place. All right, but we better get, um, we better get here through a few more verses. So why did you flee secretly without my knowledge? And why did you not rather tell me so that I might send you away with mirth and songs with tambourines and liars? I'll tell you who's a liar here. Uh, but he this is how Laban always, you know, such a greedy thief. He he wants to make himself look good. Look, you should have told me, and I would have thrown a party for you. Well, you didn't have to run away. And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Have you done foolishly? It would be in my power to do you harm. In other words, I would be justified in beating you and re-enslaving you and bringing you back with me. That's what Laban's saying here. I, I, I wouldn't be doing wrong if I did you wrong. What a crook. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, take heed that you speak no harsh word to Jacob. Granted that you desired to go to your own people and that you longed for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Now here, this has to do with the theft of the family idols, and we see it's interesting because before Laban is such a slippery character. He's so he's so uh, kind of oily. He he, on the one hand, he'll talk like he believes in God, and then he's like, no, here. But he still had his own idols in the house, etc. Now these gods were stolen, and remember see the last three weeks where Luther's been reflecting on the fact that Rachel stole these these idols. And Luther comes down on the idea that it was probably a good work. It was probably owed them. And uh, and it was removing the idolatry from Laban. Anyway, Jacob doesn't know about it. So, so here's Luther. All right. If Laban had been truly repentant, He would have believed and given his assent to the word of God, which pronounced Jacob righteous and innocent and therefore undeserving of suffering wrong. For he hears that Jacob has been absolved by God from all crimes for which he was pursuing him. So when the Lord spoke to when the Lord spoke to Laban, he let Jacob know he let Laban know that Jacob was innocent. But. But Laban does not listen to that. And Luther sees this as evidence of a false repentance. And I think that's right. Ah uh, But to promote his own glory and to defend his own righteousness, he finds fault with with Jacob that his own wrath might not seem to have been empty and without strength, and that Jacob in terror might confess a sin. This is what the proud hypocrite and the very cunning self-righteous man wanted so that so that that speech from Laban is a. Is not a valid or legitimate uh, expression of repentance and faith. It's rather just a trick, and we see it. I mean, uh, you, we see how how slick he is, how how smooth he um, uh, Laban is. Uh, he says, "Why did you do this? I wanted to. I would have thrown a party for you, and I just wanted to kiss my daughters. You know, you've you've taken this from me. Oh man, what a what a jerk." Therefore, he says, why have you done this to me? As though he meant to say, so here's Luther, again, working out all of the the, the kind of backstory of Laban and how he would have thought about this. What have you done to me? Uh, all these things you have done are the worst sins. By the way, just can we just, uh, this little thing right here, this as though he meant to say. I don't, there's got to be a name for this in rhetoric. Um, the sign for in sign language. I wonder if I can show you that the sign is to, to, you see, to expand. So you have a point and you're expanding the point. Uh, Luther does this all the time. Absolutely all the time. And he does it uh, perhaps even most, especially when, when it's talking about the, uh, the word of God. So God says this as is he, as if he were to say, all this and he, and he'll he, he'll just expand it here and it's a marvelous it's a marvelous technique uh to to give the sense of it so so here's here's what god said I mean, what we have in the scriptures what have you done to me and luther's going to say what does that mean what have you done to me well all the things you've done are the worst sins you're guilty of the worst crimes for which i could punish you according to my righteousness and right but he does not dare to harm him He only pretends a certain fortitude and an utterly empty righteousness. Previously, it was stated that he was a greedy man, and now we see a very proud hypocrite and self-righteous man being described. But he was reminded by the word of God in a dream that Jacob was righteous and good. He does not acknowledge his own sin or the virtues of Jacob. Indeed, he even exaggerates the sin of Jacob heavily, saying, you have stolen my heart. This is really an atrocious crime. The first sin he invents is the crime of—is that a real word or is that a—is that a typo here—of least majesty? He says, I was your father and father-in-law. You were my servant, but you forgot all respect and filial obedience and indeed all piety towards me. You had the audacity to depart in such a disrespectful manner without taking leave of me, your parent, father-in-law, and master. And in addition, you dared to take away my daughters like a robber, bandit, and kidnapper. But Laban is lying most impudently. For although Laban's heart has certainly been stolen, Jacob nevertheless had just cause for fleeing in secret. Otherwise, he would not have been able to obtain permission to withdraw from his greedy master. His heart is stolen, but where's Laban's heart? Laban's heart is not for Jacob. Laban's heart is not for his daughters. Laban's heart is for the flocks and the stuff. So it's true. That, J- that Jacob stole Laban's heart because Laban's heart was addicted to all of his things he was such a greedy man but but he was lying here when he says this is uh this is just uh that that, that his heart is bound up to his family etc the second lie here's Laban's second lie you have carried away my daughters like captives they are not his wives. Uh, are they not his wives, whom you, Laban, betrothed to him? And did this marriage not cost him a great deal? It's a matter of driving off by violence and sword when a husband uh, is it a sorry Luther asking question, is it a matter of driving off by violence and sword when a husband takes with him his wife, who's obliged to follow him by every right, and who consents of her own accord to, and extorts her, exhorts her husbands to depart. In other words, not only, did Laban want to leave and was slow to leave? Rachel and Leah also wanted to leave. He went to talk to them out in the in the field. Remember, and he, um, and he, uh, and and uh, he wanted to do it in secret. And he was like, he was hesitating to leave. And Rachel and Leah were like, no, no, we should, we should go. They wanted to go too. They didn't want to stick around. Like he cares, like he cares about his daughters so much. Like I mean before even had him married he had what his kids were his boys were sitting around i don't know playing texas Hold'em while the, the while he had the daughters out watering this sheep sheesh laban what a jerk. so he's he covers up his own sinfulness look like he really cared for them uh this reminds me of just thinking about it have i you guys remember this movie uh what was it? Adam Sandler, Waterboy, the movie Waterboy, where Adam Sandler is the, yeah, this is a, this is probably a yeah. unholy thing, but he, he turns into this famous football player. He gets married. And then his dad who had abandoned him shows back up at the end and says, Oh, my boy, you know, it's the same kind of thing when, when all the new friends you have, when you win the lottery, it's that, it's that kind of thing. So Laban's like, Oh, my, my daughters, you know, you've been You've been abusing them for twenty years. Hmm. You've carried away my daughters. Ah, you see, therefore, what poisonous and diabolical tongue Laban has—one that glorifies and whitewashes his own sins, and converts virtuous acts into slander. This is the this is the the character of Laban to flip everything on its head. He he. But this is look. This is the nature of the of the conscience captivated by greed or any sin is that we're all and and this is our own sinful flesh we're always amplifying our we're always arguing for our own righteousness and always arguing against our neighbor's righteousness so we're amplifying their sin and we're and we're minimize minimizing our own sin. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he talks about the speck and the log. You pick out the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you don't see the log in your own eye. So that what Jesus is is indicating is that we should, where possible, work to minimize our neighbor's sin and to maximize our own sin. So we're not arguing for our own justification. We're We're trying to speak well of our neighbor to put the best construction on everything for them but we don't put the best construction on everything for ourselves we we have to face up to our own sinfulness but laban is he's just the master of the opposite oh the wicked hypocrite invents all this and puts together these lies to dishonor jacob with his household and to exalt his own righteousness and glory it's hard to do by the way this business of our sinful flesh is motivated to argue constantly for our own righteousness and so the conscience apart from the law of god is is accusing and excusing and mostly it's this is romans 2 it's mostly accusing others and excusing ourselves it's just the natural state of the conscience and we see it in in kids when you know when they when they're when they're caught or when they're guilty or when they're when they've done something wrong it, just the it's almost you don't even have to wait just the excuse that happens it's also this is just how we are we are we are excusing busy excusing ourselves so the holy spirit one of the ways that we are being sanctified is that the holy spirit is teaching us to give up this business of excusing and instead confess when it comes to our own sin and then when it comes to the to the neighbor again it's to put the best construction on it so that we're not accusing them but we're helping them but laban here is the example of the opposite uh, when were they driven off or captured with a sword? When did Jacob drag them off like a thief or a robber? Are they not lawful wives who are not dragged off, but who followed their husband of their own accord and willingly as they were bound to follow him? It's important that actually Jacob asked Rachel in the about this. Hey, you guys ready to go? And they're like, Yeah, why which we should have left a long time ago? That's a very it's a very interesting uh and a helpful point that we have that. So we know that Jacob is not a thief. Therefore, it would have been fitting for Laban to say, "Since you wanted to leave my house, you did well because, uh, because you did not desert your wives but took them with you. And although it's hard to bear that you stole my heart, nevertheless, I give you credit for this: that you wanted my daughters to be companions of your fl- of your flight. This would have been a more honorable speech, worthy of a good man. But he, Laban, is an impious hypocrite, for. I remember that we had this two-day debate at the seminary if it should be pronounced impious or impious i never remember what we decided on that he's an empire let's say impious he's an impious hypocrite and so he turns everything upside down you guys want to debate that in the chat if it's impious or impious and what should he should have been praised and commended to his in his son-in-law he censures and reviles in a most hateful manner in other words Everything good uh, he sees as bad. Everything bad he sees as good. Everything is backwards in Laban's mind and conscience. But see, and who even knows if he is aware of how wicked he is? But see whether he observes what has been commanded, because everything for Laban is just a matter of this is what greed does. Greed reshapes the world to where now everything around me is either helping me to have more or threatening me that I might have less. And and I, everything is read through those filters. And now this is how Laban sees only um, sees he sees what Jacob is doing. He's taking stuff away from it. That means it's, everything he's doing is bad. That's that's the that's the filter which he sees the world. Now we have to be careful about that. What is the filter through which we see the world? We have to we have to work on that. Is it what what eyes do we use? We want to have sanctified eyes. That's what. What Luther, remember, always calls the eyes of Jesus. We want to look at the world through the eyes. We want to see things like God sees them, but this is difficult. Okay. Um, see whether he observes what's commanded, namely that he should not say anything harsh against Jacob. No, he heaps up carefully choi- chosen poisonous insults, and what's most disgraceful, false and fictitious ones. For he knows that they are Jacob's wives, and that he had committed no sin by taking them away, especially since they followed him out of their own accord indeed he would have been been in duty bound to compel them to accompany their husband if they had been unwilling so even if if jacob and Ra- or if rachel and leah were like no we don't want to go jacob laban would have been said no he he's your husband go with him therefore he laban is a detestable hypocrite who with the most poisonous reproaches dares to burden and attack so great a man a man equipped with such great virtues now th- this again is where we are getting a very different idea from Luther than from the rest of the world. Most people read that Laban is the good guy and Jacob is the bad guy. And that is not how Luther gets it. That is not what he sees here. Again, you're not required to agree with Luther, but you are blessed by considering it uh, because I think this is a really phenomenal read here. Uh, Jacob is the one with these great virtues. He's the, he's the father here. He's the one with faith, not that he's without sin, but that he has the word. Moreover by saying why did you want to flee from me in secret he repeats what he's already said you stole my heart. He cannot forget this wrong. This is eating his heart out. It's it, it it's a ah uh, uh, Laban has become obsessed. And you see and you see what happens too this this is like what um uh, when uh when something when something especially when you've been sinned against or someone has hurt you even if they don't know it 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 we say this too it eats away at you it gnaws at you that's that's the language that we even that's the what is it called when you have a that's a figure of speech that we use it gnaws at you and it gets it gets uh, and and, and it, it it like captures all your imagination it's all you can think about that is like the conscience is like a little movie room. and and I remember I was talking to um, or listening to uh, Pastor David Fleming talk about this. And he talks about it like you're watching the movie. but every time, every time you're uh, you're watching the movie uh, of someone sinning against you, you get better, and they get worse. <laughs> and you're more heroic and they're more villainous. every time, until finally, your virtue is on display and all you see is wickedness from the other one it's an amazing truth carrie was telling me that she was thinking about i heard someone talking about these as they're, they're they call them owls old wired loops this that this story that goes over and over in your mind and it gets stuck and he's and he and he and the whole time laban's chasing him down this is getting stuck in his mind he's a thief he's taken my stuff he's stolen my heart He's wronged me, and he's making this argument about how bad Jacob is. You've stolen my. He cannot forget the wrong. It's eating at him. He does not grieve concerning the sin, which is non existent because Jacob is righteous and holy. But this torments the man that he could not detect the plan to depart by any sign or power of judgment. The, the th- what's the thing that, that uh, Laban sees is how did he trick me? I thought I had him locked down. How could this wrong be done? Ah, that's so amazing here you stole Here you stole out my uh, uh, Chris says I would have expected it's more common for people to think that both Jacob and Laban are men I hadn't heard positive interpretations of Laban tricking Jacob into marrying Leah at least Yeah. I've heard people talk about how Laban is giving Jacob his own medicine so Laban is the father-in-law that Jacob deserves that's like the most common interpretation so I think you're right Chris uh Here, uh, Luther continuing to kind of expound on Laban's imagination. Here you stole not only my heart, he says, but me myself with all my goods. For Jacob had augmented his property with a great increase. It grieves him, Laban, that this choice morsel has been snatched from his jaws. And he thinks, if I had known it, I would have left nothing untried to detain you. For now my very well-being and the increase of all my goods is lost to me. Remember that Laban 10 times changed the arrangement that they had for his own benefit. But now after he has vomited forth almost all his wrath and indignation by accusing Jacob in the most atrocious manner and by justifying himself there, there's that idea, this idea of self-justification. He then proclaims his own love and goodwill, both toward his son-in-law and toward his daughters to increase the unworthiness of the, of the accused and makes a great show of love, kindness, store this is that Greek word for, well, oh, here natural affection. Storge is what we sometimes call brotherly love. Uh, st- uh, familial affection. As it natural affection toward the children. I've loved you and my daughter so much, he says, and honored you with whatever services I could that you can wish for nothing from me, but have always felt that I am most friendly to you. So also now, after calling together all my friends and in the inhabitants of the land, I would have sent you on your way in honor and splendor, with joy, with music, with tambourines, to be sure. <laughs> For what would that joy and those tambourines have been? Shackles, chains, imprisonments, perpetual servitude. We see how Laban throws a party. He, he throws a wedding party and then switches the brides. That's how he throws a party. <laughs> If Jacob had indicated that he was contemplating departure with his wives, he would have never been dismissed. For this is how Laban was accustomed to bless his friends. As has been stated previously, he would have dragged him back into perpetual servitude and misery if God had not prevented it. He revealed this cruelty well enough when he changed Jacob's wages 10 times and compelled him to serve 14 years for his daughters and six years for the cattle without receiving due wages. Accordingly, if God had not restrained his cupidity, his his lust for stuff, his greed. He would have defrauded his son-in-law of all of his goods. This is the tambourines, the joy, the liars. Hmm. This is it. Now, Wendy asks, how does this explanation of Laban work with Luther's idea to take our neighbor's actions in the kindest possible way? That is a good question. I mean, some people are just greedy. And he sees laban here in fact in fact i think luther will say this uh a couple of weeks ago that he and he sees almost laban as a as an archetype laban is the laban is the one where saint paul says into the philippians their god is their belly and you start to see what happens and so now it's a now it becomes a warning But I do not know, Wendy, this is a good question, and I want to think about it. I do not know if putting the best construction on everything applies to our Bible reading. In other words, do we treat Laban as a neighbor when we're dealing with him in the text? I mean, I know it means like our neighbor, my neighbor who's on the other side of the fence, and the people that I'm engaged with who are kind of around and I don't know what it means. i got to think about that. Barbara says, Laban is realizing his slaves are leaving and wheeling dealing to get them back by trying to instill Jacob with guilt. Yeah, he's trying to manipulate him. However, he relates all this to encumber the excellent and holy man Jacob. This is exactly what you're saying, Barbara. To embellish and cover up his own tyranny, cruelty and avarice. These are the unadulterated, unadulterated and most frivolous lies. In fact, the smoother his speech is, the more bitterness he has shut up in his heart. And the individual words are composed with special care to columinate and censure the excellent virtues in Jacob. I don't know what that word, columinate, means. I wonder if I can actually look Oh, now what have I done? there it is. How did I select the whole thing? one? I just want to look at this word. Oh, come on. culminate. Huh. I can look it up on Wikipedia. Uh, malign. Oh, this is great. I don't even know what this word is. Asperse. Asperse defame, degenerate, libel, scandalize—I know those words. Okay, traduce, vilify, vilify. Okay, oh, that's cool. Power lookup. Uh, special care to calumniate and censure the excellent virtues in Jacob. Uh, for how could he dismiss the man whom he wished to keep at his house even for a thousand years? He was a, and he was especially grieved that he was losing a faithful servant and one so suitable for the promotion of his own profit. See, everything is, is, is rotating around the weight of his own greed. That's what stealing the heart needs. And he makes a further addition and replies as though to an implied objection, you've not permitted me to kiss my daughters, etc., to let me know most emphatically that your wives have been my daughters and Yet you are to be censured because you have deprived me of every courtesy of love and parenthood that I might have shown my children and grandchildren in accordance with my love and natural goodwill for them. For it's common practice, according to the customs and usage of all nations, that daughters who are about to leave their father's house take leave of their parents and claim kiss, embrace, and and, uh, and, a ble- uh, and blessing from their father. This I had the hearty desire to do. They're your wives, it's true, and. You've the power legally to take them with you, but you should have been influenced by my love and have let me first kiss my dear daughter, my, no, my kiss my dear, dear daughters and grandchildren, and you should not have taken them away so cruelly from the embrace and bosom of a fond parent. <laughs> uh, that's the source of these tears. Hm, he's quoting Terrence. Oh, Iron Heart. You see how th- this. Luther's onto this later. Oh, iron heart that does not groan at them. This desperate scoundrel should have been Pope. <laughs> oh, Luther. Oh, or the Bishop of Mainz. <laughs> Inasmuch as he can cover a most cruel heart with such pious and honorable talk. Oh. <laughs> How would you kiss your daughters with a kiss of Judas? Or if you wish to kiss your daughters and show your parental love to them, why did you not nourish them and clothe them and attend to them with due kindness when they still served you? Oh man. But no, at that time he took, can you imagine, by the way, just being in the class. remember this, this was Luther's lecture. He was teaching at the seminary and he was lecturing this way and you're all the, the The seminarians are there listening to Luther teach and, uh, and I imagine pastors in Wittenberg and even some people are there just to listen. And visitors were there. Ugh. It had been so much fun. <laughs> the, should have been Pope. You see the, 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 and this covering up of a cruel heart with, with sweet words and, and Luther, the colder, the heart, the sweeter, the words that's, that connection is really profound. Why didn't you care for, if you loved them so much? Why didn't you love them when they were still there? I didn't care. Not only that they're thought to be gone. This is, the affection is not for his daughters, just for his stuff. No, at the time he took everything away and regarded them as strangers and sold them like captives. That's your great filial love, Laban. If they had not taken thought for their own interests by flight, they would have had to perish of hunger. Such was the love of this most dutiful, the most cruel and detestable father, Laban. But now, when he sees that he's being accused of manifest lovelessness toward his daughters, and that his son-in-law has been compelled to flee with his daughters because of his cruelty, he wants to cover his barbaric conduct by accus- accusing his son-in-law of abducting his daughters against his will without taking leave of him. Not because he's moved with concern or love for them, but to cover his greed. For the things that troubles him is what he mentioned at the beginning, the theft of his heart. Obviously, his advantages and the growth of his property derived from the servitude of Jacob. Before that, remember, he had just a flock that was so small that his daughters could watch it. But now he's got all this wealth because of Jacob and because the Lord has blessed Jacob. And because Jacob is apparently pretty good at that. This shepherding what would a cruel tyrant do with the actual moment of the departure when in the previous 20 years he had done nothing kind or worthy of paternal love Uh, now you're going to change now you say we're leaving and he's like oh well let me give you a kiss and a blessing but if there had been left in him even a little drop of love or paternal goodwill he would now have shown himself different he would have forgotten all offenses and injuries or spoke and, and spoken as follows come i acknowledge it You have been too harshly treated by me. You've received no gift or wages. Therefore, I now hand you over to you and your children, this part of my flocks or those treasures, which I regard as most precious rings and golden ornaments, let them be pledges to you of my perpetual love and goodwill. In other words, maybe, maybe now he would repent and see what he's done wrong, but no, nothing of the kind. But what would this greedy hypocrite give? We... Here below how he searches and examines everything and would gladly have taken away even those things which they held from the spoils assigned them by God. In other words, he he says, I'm going to shake you down. My idols are missing. I'm going to shake you down and get it back. (laughs) What a jerk. (laughs) These things would have gladly been taken away, those things which they held from the spoils assigned them by God. In the meantime, however, he decks himself out as though he were righteous, Personified uh, righteousness, personified, and a great lover of his children, and Jacob is the astorgos. Remember how um, the, we had storgos earlier, this natural affection. And remember, in Greek, when you put an alpha at the on the front of something, it negates it. So if storge is uh, uh, is uh, uh, perpetual or, or familial love and affection. Astor gay is the lack of that lacking, uh, lacking natural affection and cruel towards his father-in-law. So he wants to put this on Jacob. Jacob is the, Jacob is the, is, is the evil one, the wicked one. This is incredible and unheard of ill will, hypocrisy, and cruelty profane men and heathen who follow nature and reason as their guides shrink from kinds of the uh, crimes of this kind. Luther, Luther's Luther saying even, uh, even the, the pagan uh, who's governed by natural law is not this bad. It seems impossible that such great cruelty should befall a human heart, that a man is rat is rash enough not only to neglect his daughters and grandchildren, but even to deprive them of all the kindnesses and advantages that are their due. There is a natural love that we have for our own family uh, That. And that natural affection is missing here in labor. It's just a cute, tyrannical wickedness, this being consumed by greed. And we were talking about this the other day, how the, um, in some of the old paintings, the demons have faces in their belly. And that's what happens. That This is this distortion of greed, where now uh, everything is subdued is subsumed by my own wants. It shapes everything. For it's detestable hypocrisy and pretense that can cover such a great crime with a beautiful show of kisses, embraces, and paternal love. For Laban wanted to kiss and embrace them for this purpose, that he might clasp and enclose them in bonds of perpetual servitude. These then are the virtues of the excellent and saintly Laban. And on the other hand, the crimes and sins of jacob which he reproaches him for so it usually happens in the world righteous men are regarded as sinners and vice versa now no one in the whole world is a sinner except the man who has the word and believes in christ you see this this is uh i for a while there i think this was for a while i think at least around here in the united states this wasn't this was a little bit forgotten there was enough people who are christian that we should, could recognize the the up and down from the Word of God, but that's been forgotten now. And now it's the Christian who is accused of all of the great wickedness, hate, and everything. No one in the whole world is a sinner except a man who has the Word and believes in Christ. And Luther does, is this is sarcastic, of course, but what he's saying is that that um, everyone everyone is busy uh, excusing themselves. And accusing, and who gets accused? The one with the word, and the one with Christ. Lee says Laban, in all of his, un, uh, in all of this, is ultimately is chasing his idols. That's a good point. He can't get away from his idols. Those who persecute and hate the word are the righteous ones, as Christ says. They think they're offering God a service. This is a haunting verse. Uh, from John 16, they will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. If I remember right, the word there for service is um, liturgia. Yeah, "latria." It's the word for liturgy. Hmm. Just to think about that, so the the persecution of Christians is understood as a righteous act by the mind that's captivated by the sinful flesh and the world and the devil. So it's a good work to to kill the Christians was understood as a it was a good work. It was understood that way by those who are doing. It. We, we should probably spend some time thinking about this. Now, it often happens that men, because we are those who, if, so you think that your death now, and so the, the more demonic and the more fleshly the world is, and the more captivated by the spirit of darkness, the more the world starts to think that you, you as a Christian, your diminishment is a blessing and your absence is a good work not and not look it's not just a good work it's a service to god it's a it's it's a spiritually good work that what that that killing the christian is like something you should be proud of in church Now, it often happens that men, ignorant of the word, hate and persecute the saints. But Laban is not such a good man that he sins in error. He knowingly persecutes a righteous man. He knew it because he had a dream. God spoke to him in a dream. Similarly, the cardinals, bishops, and others also knowingly rage against the godly. Yet they want to be regarded as holy. Yeah, Jill says service to their God. This, right, I, th- I think that's right. Uh, this could be a lowercase g. They're idle. There right. um the last and most atrocious crime with which he charges his son-in-law is the theft of his gods here behold extravagant and dramatic exaggerations the things which I have recounted up to this point he says are serious and unworthy of a good man but I pass them by and pardon them for it is if possible that you stole the away secretly overcome by a kind of longing for your fatherland and some other desire but This is the worst of all evils that you've stolen my gods. What will you reply now? It may certainly be that you were moved by a certain levity or impatience or by curiosity, although you could not have lived better elsewhere than with me, not even in your fatherland. But why did you take away my gods? That is my divine worship. This is a great sin. It was not sufficient for you to show yourself a scoundrel toward me. In addition, you also polluted yourself and yours with sacrilege. (laughs) Here, therefore, he found a different pretext, one that was more holy by far, namely religion and the worship of God. Yet there was no interest in godliness in him, but he had a heart obsessed by pure greed and the worship of mammon. Such are our adversaries, Eck and the Bishop of Mainz. Eck, remember, was um, probably... So the, the first opponent that Luther had was probably Tetzel, the indulgence seller, but then right away it switched to Eck, And uh, famously in the Leipzig disputation, it was, well, it was the Wittenberg theologians and Eck were there, but it really became Luther and Eck, and they were the two opponents there. Luther called him Dr. Eck, which Dreck, which I guess is German for, for dirt. And the Bishop of Mainz, this is Albrecht, who had purchased the, he was Bishop in Mainz, and he purchased the Bishopric in Berlin, and to purchase that bishopric, he took a huge loan to pay back that loan. He got permission to sell the indulgences and those indulgences went half to St. Peter's and half to I, I can't remember like the Fuger family who financed this purchasing of the bishopric. and it was against you were only supposed to have one bishopric, et cetera and all this if and this is just kind of memory off the top of my head, so make sure to to check all this out. but um, but here he's uh, Luther brings up these uh, these adversaries. Now they they were adversaries at the beginning, which is interesting because here we're later in Luther. We're in fifteen thirty, so Luther's remembering back twenty years some of the early fights. I don't think Eck is around by this point. Um, Eck famously, oh no, he is fifteen forty three. So Eck would still have been kicking around. Uh, let me think. Genesis thirty one, six. Yeah, we're probably in fifteen forty forty one, so Eck is still alive. I don't know if Albert. I don't know if Albert is still alive, but these are kind of early fights. Uh, Eck published the a document which was the four hundred and four heresies of Martin Luther, something like that, presented to the Pope. So Eck was the first big anti Luther apologist. Um, No. So Luther sees in Laban what's happening with Eck and Albrich. They're not influenced by the glory of Christ and the truth of the gospel, but they hanker after prebends revenues, and other prerogatives. They're, so they're, they, they have a different motivation, a different thing that's driving them, namely greed. Laban also cares nothing about worship, but about the gold and the silver from which the idols were cast. And so here it gets to it that Laban's last words, hey, you stole my gods. This is his, that, that really shows what he really cares about. It's like, well, my daughter's fine, but you took my money. But he pretends to have a passion for and piety for divine worship, as though he, he meant to say, and again, see, see Luther using this, as though he meant to say, this expansion. I would not care about gold or silver, for I could easily procure other stuff Uh, statues but this is what makes me grieve that you have violated my devotion my worship practices my prayers see therefore how greatly you have sinned by taking away from the lord god his worship and ceremony and all the rites of devotion in my whole family these are violations and sins against the first table you are making every effort to to uh to rob me and my house of our religious life you're opening a window to impiety and the devil who wants us to be smug despisers of God and divine worship. Like, Jacob, how you can have all the stuff, but look, don't take away church. Ah, uh, uh, Laban. This is what he interprets as sacrilege. It's not theft of the statues, but the violation and overthrow of the worship of God. For no nation was ever so stupid as to pray to the wood, the stones, the gold, and the silver from which the statues have been made. Now, this is an... Imp- actually, this might and this might be a good place to end because i think i yeah we probably should stop here. but this point luther will make uh, a number of times and it's very important for us because there's a danger when we like look at the ancient world and we look at all the statues like in athens or in rome or in in ephesus and all, all the old pagan worship and the and we look at the totems of the native american worship and all these things and we say oh how foolish the people were to worship the the statues. We see, the, we see Baal, we see the, 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 the golden calf or the golden bull and all these things, how foolish people were to worship the things. And Luther says, nobody ever worshiped the things. Nobody thought that the statue was God. Nobody thought that the stick was God. Rather, that it was a representation of, this, of the spiritual power behind it. And and the reason that this is important is because there's a way that we can look at the ancient world and say, ah, oh, look at that miserable idolatry. Well, at least we're not so foolish as them. Luther says, no, nobody was that foolish. No nation was ever so stupid as to actually pray to the wood or to the stone or the gold or the silver of the statue. Uh, no, they they put the goes there as a representation. Luther gives again they added the first table suppose that God in heaven has regarded for this worship and here's the prayers made at the statue Jeroboam for example remember when he sets up the golden calves in Bethel Bethel, after erecting the two calves added this proclamation these are your gods who brought you out of Egypt he knew that the calves were formed in this way were not themselves that deity which led the Israelites out of Egypt but they believed the worship of God that those statues was pleasing and acceptable so that so so that all of the statuary and everything else that's used in worship is indicating that something is there behind it and and the danger is that we think that we're much more sophisticated so we don't participate in this old idolatry and Luther's like "Mm, no we're not it's all the same all right this is a this actually a really good place to stop because I'd like to expand on this especially I'd like to this quote we can find in luther in the large catechism on the first commandment and i'd like to i'd like to look at that so someone remind me next week that we want to do that and uh and see that remember that idolatry comes in in two different ways it's not it's first of all worshiping a false god but secondly it's worshiping uh the true god in a false way and jill says the beginning of syncretism and heterodoxy exactly exactly so we'll talk about that next week let's pray well lord we ask that you would give us a good clean conscience cleansed by the blood of christ to stand before you on the judgment day so that we might see things as they truly are Uh, we pray that you would set us free from this obsession with justifying ourselves knowing that you have forgiven us and that we're justified by you by grace through faith and in this uh, freedom and joy of justification to love and serve our neighbor in all the ways that you've are uh, given to us. For we ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Stop